0: I wanted to give a content warning for this episode. It's two articles that I wrote for Salty World. And in the first one, I do talk about sexual assault and particularly stealthing. And in the second one, I talk about suicidal ideation and medical gaslighting. I'm your host, Mia Schachter. I use they them pronouns and I'm a bit gender nebulous, a term that I made up and you can use if you like it. I'm an intimacy coordinator for TV and film, a boundary guide for individuals and couples, and a consent educator. My interest in this work is mostly in consent, gender, and power dynamics. I offer Zoom classes live and for download through my website, and private consent lessons and boundary sessions too. Hello. I'm gonna read my salty article called I'm Taking Control of My Own Consent. I went to the doctor last week. My body was screaming at me not to. I thought of my cat's reaction to her carrier because of her own medical trauma. She knows we're going to the vet and her whole body spasms in resistance. Unlike her calm healing body against my abdomen right now her purr penetrating to my bones i was my cat that day but i was also my own parent determining that going to the doctor was in my body's best interest i violated my own consent for the greater good It was a poignant reminder that i am in fact the chief violator of my own consent what does my body think when i don't listen to its very clear no Do I betray its already tenuous trust in me? Does it get used to the violation and consequently endure or tolerate future violations from others? Does it scream louder at some later point to make sure its voice is heard? My whole life I've battled what I now know to be gut-based chronic illness. My doctor told me at this most recent visit that in his 35 years of practicing medicine, he's almost never seen a more mysterious case which on the one hand makes me feel super special, and on the other hand makes me feel utterly hopeless. I've been medically gaslit for decades. When I was six, I was fatigued, and my mom took me to get tested for anemia. Dr. Bob read us the results and said, she's not anemic, she just has a lazy personality. I was six, six years old. When I was 27, I had four UTIs in a year, and went to Dr. Dave in New York City. Some of you may be familiar with the motorcycle-riding punk doctor on the Lower East Side. He told me I was anorexic. He was not the first doctor to tell me that, as though it was the key that, um, to the locked vault of my health issues. Aha, I found it. And when I asked how he'd recommend I eat, he said I should eat double cheeseburgers and milkshakes every day. I also told him, um, okay, I'll speak to my therapist about that. And he said, um, you can do that, but there's really not much you can do about anorexia. You'll probably have it forever. Um, So he recommended that I eat double cheeseburgers and milkshakes every day. I said, I can't eat that much dairy. And he said, see, you'll do anything to avoid eating. He paused, a pause pregnant with his own ego, gestating the most insightful medical questioning known to humanity. Who else in your family has the crazy? As I learned about an embodied form of consent, consent as a language and a practice, I was learning to listen to my body and began to understand the depths to which I had gone to ignore it. The more I learned about consent, the more I saw and really felt the ways I was ignoring my body in order to get things done. Now, as a consent teacher, I talk in classes about getting engaging consent with ourselves first. There are a few things we can do to gauge self consent. The first thing we need to do is learn what our boundaries feel like in our bodies then we need to parse out the difference between feeling uncomfortable, where we can learn, challenge ourselves, take risks and try new things, and feeling unsafe, where trauma is possible if not likely. For a lot of us, our wires get a bit crossed about the difference between the two because of our upbringing and trauma and other things that get in the way of that um, connection. Substances, for example, all kinds of things. For example, many of us will come out of COVID-19 with fears of crowds and enclosed spaces long past when the danger is present. Uncrossing these wires takes a lot of patience and compassion with ourselves. That um, Those crossed wires of like thinking that something is unsafe when it's just uncomfortable or vice versa, um, that's called faulty neuroception. We can also prepare our own nervous systems. When I knew I had to go to the doctor, I did some breathing exercises. When I was waiting to be called in, I paid attention to the feeling of my feet on the floor. I put a hand on my belly and breathed into it and my heart. I remembered, I reminded myself about all the times I've gotten to the other side of a bad doctor visit. I went over ways to stand up for myself if I needed to. Consent can often come in the form of a warning instead of permission. We see that with content warnings or when the dentist says, you're gonna feel some water, it might be cold. Preparing the nervous system can help us through things that we know we have to do, but we don't want to do. I wanna be very clear that I don't believe that if someone has fuzzy boundaries or is not experienced at holding them, that they are to to blame for their own trauma. As the pie chart says, the only thing to blame for rape is rapists. But to overlook the ways we teach our bodies that we are not going to listen to them is masochistic and a form of self-harm we reject our bodies daily we tell them that their insight is not welcome when we prioritize our intellects over our emotions by the way you have more neurons in your gut than you do in your brain and you also have neurons in your heart your heart is a brain itself um We tell them that their insight is not welcome when we prioritize our intellects over our emotions. We tell them that their experience of gender and societal norms is dangerous and they should be quiet. We tell them that other people have it worse and they should stop complaining. The separation between our minds and bodies is a tool of capitalism. There's not much profit to be made if I like myself the way I am. So capitalism splits us from ourselves and then sells us things to repair the damage. I often think of that song from Hedwig and the Angry Inch, The Origin of Love, about Aristophanes' theory that we've been split from our soulmates and wander the earth trying to reunite with them. But I think of the two halves as my own mind and my own body being wedged apart by marketing and media that tell me that I can be whole if I pay for necessities like makeup, razors, tweezers, straightening irons, food supplements, diet pills, and toxic chemicals with which to beat my body into submission. We're sold this dualist tug of war that keeps us from knowing the feeling of our own boundaries. We can't always predict what our boundaries are or will be, but we can know the feeling of hitting one so we can regulate our nervous systems and speak our needs. Recognizing my healing in the form of reconnecting with my body so I can act from my gut is an anti-capitalist act of self-love. And that is a daily revolution that I'm committed to for the rest of my life. My Patreon is now a community site for DIY self-paced learning. I share assignments, journal prompts, media examples of consent and boundaries, discount codes, my own writing on boundaries and consent, the medical industry, and other things that I'm thinking about all the time. I share papers, articles, lectures, and more. And you also get access to the Patreon-only Discord channel. Patreon is a great way to support the show, but there are other ways that don't cost money. You can rate, subscribe, and write a review wherever you listen and share the show with your friends. All of that is deeply appreciated. I'm currently taking private clients. You can find out more about that in the Work With Me tab on my website, sharetheloadink.com, and schedule a call to see if we're a good fit. I'm going to read my article from Salty World called... I'm an onset intimacy coordinator, and it has helped me embrace my shy self in bed. You'd think that training to be an intimacy coordinator for TV and film would be about sexual freedom and kinky shenanigans. For me, I became more careful, more reserved, and shyer than ever. I got in touch with a younger, purer self that didn't second-guess what my body was trying to tell me but it also illuminated the ways in which I've ignored my own boundaries, boundaries I no longer push myself to cross. I had a traumatizing sexual experience when I was 19. The first time we had sex, we agreed to use a condom and the next thing I knew, his dick was inside me without one. I dissociated and went numb. After that, sex with him was painful for me. I would try to push through, but eventually I'd ask him to stop because of the discomfort. He got unnervingly angry with me for not prioritizing his pleasure while I was in pain. One time even saying, you don't even want to go down on me? What am I supposed to do with this? Looking down at his crotch and leaving the room in frustration. Um, This is called Stealthing, or it's Stealthing Adjacent, um, and it's dealt with rather elegantly on um, Michaela Cole's show, I May Destroy You. After the relationship ended, I committed to being cool about sex so that I never did the same thing to anyone else ever again. I pushed myself to try new things very quickly, which when with the right person was fun and exploratory, but when it was with a person who wasn't so good for me, I felt silly and embarrassed for having shared that experience with them. I believe that pushing myself through things that made me nervous was sometimes a positive thing, especially with someone I loved and trusted but it was not happening with the kindness and compassion inwardly that would have granted me a deeper connection with myself. Instead, I was only seeking a deeper connection with other people and also reacting to the stereotype of a frigid woman. Being reactionary isn't introspective. It's about other people. This concern about being seen as just another X type of woman prevented me from asking myself what I actually wanted. Many years later, I got back together with my abuser. I explained away his mistreatment of me as my fault and a result of his alcoholism. I now understand that to be part of um, what we would call fawning or friend as a stress response. I wanted to try again once he was sober. Going back for more pain is a lifelong habit I'm still trying to break. In returning to him and that story, I rewrote the script. I could finally see his behavior as gaslighting and manipulation. I finally understood that the abuse had never been my fault. He had given me that narrative to protect himself. He told me about his bandmate who was being accused of stealthing, a form of rape in which you agree to use a condom and then secretly don't. He said, I would never do that. I couldn't bring myself to say, you did that to me. I went through a period of sexual dormancy after that second breakup in the midst of an autoimmune health crisis. I also had gone through a period of sexual dormancy after we broke up the first time. Um, I didn't have sex or really any connection in my life, intimate or physical, um, for almost a year and a half. Um, Right, so the midst of an autoimmune health crisis related to that breakup or that relationship, probably. Chronic stress has a way of doing that. As I got my health under control, I began training to be an intimacy coordinator. Um, that's not quite the full story. I'm still struggling quite um, quite severely with my health, uh, but that's a different story. Um, the, as I got my health under under control, I began training as an intimacy coordinator. Recovery and training paralleled each other beautifully. The job of intimacy coordinator is to help actors find, express, and maintain their own boundaries while simultaneously help the director, um, simultaneously helping the director achieve their vision. We're much like stunt coordinators, we're there to make the scenes look real and stay safe, but our domain is emotional safety within sex and nude scenes. We practice many forms of consent on set so we can ensure that it's ongoing. In order to assist others in finding their boundaries, I had to get much more in touch with my own. At the same time, I was learning to listen to my gut and what my body needed. Through my healing, my body reawakened, and I had this job that meant something. I had less to prove than ever. I didn't need to convince anyone that I was good at communication, intimacy, or sex. As I entered back into the dating world, I anticipated feeling empowered to say no or slow down or I'm not comfortable with that yet. I was right this deeper knowledge of myself helps me say when i'm not ready in situations where i might have pushed through nerves at any other times of my life and if anyone tries to convince me that i don't know myself in these circumstances they can go fuck themselves because i'm certainly not going to (laughs) i found myself covering for my own trainer on the set of euphoria in the midst of a long period of no intimate physical contact my life started to feel like a rom-com Um, A celibate intimacy coordinator navigates Hollywood sex scenes for others but struggles to find intimacy for themselves. Finally, after eight months, I was invited into someone's bed. It was an incredibly nourishing sexual encounter in which we explored each other with our underwear still on. I got nervous, as I always do, but for the first time I communicated it. I really just said to him, I'm nervous. He was so kind and careful, checking in constantly to see if the way he was touching me was okay, to check if there was anything that I wanted or didn't want to do, to ask if I wanted to stop, and to talk about it when my hands were shaking. In the past, I would have gone much further with him that day. Instead, I told him I wanted us to keep our underwear on. I don't know if I'll see this person again. But this one experience reminded me of who I used to be, before I was given the undue burden of making any man aroused in my presence have an orgasm, and even before I was sexually active. I'm shy, and I get nervous. For so long, I thought I'd grow out of those traits, but it turns out they're just what makes me me. I'm finally comfortable enough in this self-awareness to go slowly pump the brakes, and make sure that the person I'm being physical with deserves my vulnerability before I determine if I want theirs. And that's what I mean by not everyone deserves your vulnerability. I'm going to continue to listen to myself with the same attention and compassion with which I've been trained to listen to actors. I will make sure that I give myself enthusiastic consent. I will pay attention to my body language and my eye contact and the way I say okay and maybe to make sure that I'm not pushing myself through something that doesn't feel good. I will let myself be shy and nervous and I will communicate those things because how they are received will tell me everything I need to know about the person that I'm sharing them with. I will keep certain parts of me for myself until I'm absolutely certain that I'm engaging with someone who will be careful and responsible with those parts. And I will treat my own intimacy as the finite resource that it is, only spending it when it is earned. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Consent Wizard. The show is produced and edited by Stella Hartman. Beginning and ending music is by me. There's sometimes other music by my friend Tyler Field. The podcast logo is by Candace Ploy Goodman. For contact information for these exceptionally talented people, or to ask a question about boundaries and consent that I'll answer on the show, you can email podcast at sharethelodeinc.com.